Today we're beginning a brand new series entitled Life in the Darkness. Life in the Darkness. And if you have a Bible, I want you to join me in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 9 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9. And uh, I'm going to go pretty quick through this first part, kind of laying a foundation for us because there's something that I really want us to get to and major on a little bit later on in the message, but I, but I kind of need to set the tone and lay a little bit of a foundation uh, so that we have some understanding and can grab a hold of, I believe, what God wants to say. So I want to encourage you, especially through this first part, get something out to take some notes on, uh, steal the Connect card, flip it over, take some notes on it, grab your phone, go to the central hub, click on sermon notes right there at your home screen, and uh, Take some notes this morning, what God is saying to you, and so you can go back and look uh, as we all listen fast, and I talk not as fast as I can. First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9, it says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Look to your neighbor and say, I knew you were special. God's special possession possession, that you may, that that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Everybody say out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy mercy. So dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain. Everybody say abstain. Abstain. That word literally means move as far away from as you can. Not get as close to the edge of it. Not to try and use all your willpower, but to create distance from that place you don't want to go, that line you don't want to cross to create distance by just going a different direction and creating distance from it. To abstain from what? Well, great question. From sinful desires, which rage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans. Everybody say among. He didn't say against, and he didn't say alike. He said among. Among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Today, I want to bring a message to you entitled, Choosing Contrast. Choosing Contrast. I, uh, I enjoy photo editing. I am not a photographer, nor am I a professional editor However, I enjoy the hobby of editing photos. And anytime I edit a photo without fail, I always adjust something in the photo called contrast. Contrast uh, in photo editing uh, is this. It is the visual ratio of different tones in an image. Did you know that you have some tones that you live with in your life? There are some tones that when people look at you, they can see those tones. There are some tones in the image and contrast adjust them. It's the difference of what creates 
texture, highlights, shadows, color, and clarity in the image. Color and clarity in the image. I have seen uh, through all my years of ministry, 16-something years in full-time ministry now, countless people who encounter Jesus Christ, who have something start on the inside of their life that's true and genuine and wonderful, but they never can seem to get beyond the darkness that surrounds them. They never can get beyond the darkness of what they've hidden in the closet of their past. And they can't get beyond the darkness of the culture that they've surrounded themselves in. And and typically when you see this, there's something that gets stuck in the transition that, that, that they don't quite cross over and experience the life that God has designed them to experience, at least not to the fullness that God wants them to experience it. There's something that gets stuck in the process. And they choose not to to live with a a contrast in their life. And and so as believers, you typically see two two extremes. People who have experienced Christ, you you can look around uh, the church or people of God, and you'll see two things. One thing that you'll see is that they choose to camouflage their life. And when they choose to camouflage their life, when you look at their life, it looks exactly like the rest of the world and the other lives around them. Like they cheat on their taxes, just like everybody else. They steal time at work rather than giving their all, all the time at work. They'll cheat on their tests in school, lie to their teachers, sneak behind their parents' back. They look and camouflage their life exactly like everybody else. Their marriages struggle because bitterness stays around, just like all of the other marriages in the culture. We live a moment away from irate uh, rage and tantrums about anything. One train, and the whole day goes to the pooper. (laughs) Camouflage their life and their attitude like everyone around them. Looks just like everybody else. And then you have another extreme. These Christians realize they can't camouflage their life, so they decide to take it on the other side. And and this is where a lot of people uh, go and live, and that's this. They choose to compete and live in competition instead. They choose competition with the culture and the community and the people around them. They're pushing their ideas. They feel like if they can just argue some reason into people and they can compete with their ideas and their theology and their ideology, and we create what we like to call Christian alternatives to everything because we're competing against culture rather than creating contrast within the culture. This is one of the the driving Uh, paradigms and thought processes of why we do light the night. We're not creating an alternative that we're telling people, come to our thing, it's better than everything else. We've made a decision that we're going to go live in the neighborhoods, be present in the neighborhoods, and decide to provide an experience and encounter with the goodness of God in the space where all of the pagans like to go. Because we're called to live among the pagans, not against the pagans. We're not called to live competing with the culture, trying to shout the loudest. Listen, if I really wanted to, I have to restrain myself often uh, because I want to correct bad theology that I see everywhere, especially on Facebook. And I'm not talking about bad theology from people who don't follow Christ. I'm talking about bad theology from people who are sitting in the same row as you. 
Not, not literally, of course. That was a figure of speech. We, 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 someone found the shoe and it fits. No, I'm, I'm kidding, kidding, kidding. We can't live in such competition with the culture that we try and correct every bad thought and bad. Now, now there are times I do correct people's understanding. I rarely do it on social media. I just tend to believe that social media is a great place for social engagement rather than social justice. And so I pick and choose my moments and I pick and choose the platforms and I make sure I have great relationship with people before I wade into the deep waters to help them reorient their minds to scripture. Why? Because I'm not called to be a competing voice. I'm not called to live a life that camouflage everything with the darkness around me. We're actually called to live with some contrast in our life, bringing out the God colors of the world around us, helping people clearly see the life of Jesus revealed through the way that we live our own lives. God wants you to live with a little bit of contrast. And that's what Peter was trying to get at in 1 Peter chapter 2. He's saying, listen, you've been called something amazing, and we're called to live among the pagans, not against them, not anti them, not trying to look just like them. We're called to live among the pagans in such a way that they would see your life, and when the day of the Lord shows up, when he shows up, that everyone who's lived around you can glorify God. In other words, you've lived in such a way that they've experienced, encountered, and tasted the goodness of God in your life, and they themselves can walk in that relationship with God. And I love this phrase that he uses at the end of, of 1 Peter chapter 2 in, in verse, uh, verse 12, where he says that they may glorify, glorify God on the day he visits us. Friends, I, I want to talk to you about this idea of the triumph for just a second the triumph. This is where we all want to get to. This is the day of the Lord when he shows up again. See, we believe that Jesus is, has already come once, lived a life, showed us what it was like to have a relationship with God, was the way maker for that life. And now one day again, we're living with anticipation that Jesus will come again. That was a great place for all the believers to say, amen. But you missed it and we're not going back. We believe Jesus is indeed coming again. And when he comes again, sets everything right in such a way that we can live with complete and full triumph that will never be taken away. Listen to how Revelation chapter 21 says it. It says this, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place, don't miss this, God's dwelling place is among the people. You didn't realize it, but every day you choose to live like Jesus among the people that you work with, you are proclaiming a prophetic declaration that one day God's going to live among people too. That we live among, he was going to live among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away, and he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write these 
words down because they are trustworthy and they are true. I believe that there is coming a triumph where we get to see full and for, forever God remaking and renewing and recreating all of our world, setting it right so that we can live among him and he can live among us. And it's going to be a beautiful triumph. But First Peter, he was also kind of giving this idea of saying, listen, there is a way that you can live your life right now where you can triumph over the sin that's holding you back. And this is what we all, where we all want to go. This is what believers, this is what we really are truly pursuing and saying, God, we want to live in such a way that the sin and the control that it used to have on us, we don't live like that anymore, but our behavior speaks of triumph in a great way. That's where we want to be and what we want to do. We want to live with that kind of triumph. But the triumph is the end, and the starting point is what I like to call the transfer. The transfer. This is the second point, in case you were wondering or wanting to follow an outline of some sort. Point number two, the transfer. This is when you get saved. You say yes to Jesus. Because he said in 1 Peter, in uh, verses uh, 9 and 10, he said, you were once in darkness, but you've been transferred to light. You were once not considered the people of God, but you've transferred to be the people of God. You were once stuck in sin and darkness and had never experienced true mercy. Oh, but you've been transferred to people who know mercy full. Well, there's a transfer. There's a salvation that happens in you. This is what Jesus was talking about in John chapter three when he was talking to Nicodemus. And he says, listen, the only way you're gonna transfer to experience true life and true eternity is if you are reborn. That there's a a transfer that happens in your spirit where the spirit of God comes and transfers and lives on the inside of you. That's That's what we call salvation. How do we get saved? Well, the Bible says that we have to believe. That's all it takes. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will experience the starting point and the transfer. The transfer that allows you to one day experience the triumph. But it all starts with the transfer. The transfer starts because you believe, and then eventually you live a life of triumph in such a way that your behavior is recognized as God's behavior. We all want to get to this behavior. And when we start trying to create behavior that reflects God, rather than dealing with the first belief of who God is, we get it backwards and messed up. You have to start with the transfer to end up at the triumph. But there's a middle component that we often miss. Because we think the moment we get saved, all of a sudden we should, everything should be made right. But everything has been made right in your spirit, but you're the still same old you on the outside. Like, like inside everything has been made new and there's, a, there's a, transi- a, a transfer that took place of God's spirit coming and living in your spirit, now alive and quickening who you are. But on the outside, you're still the same mean old cuss as you were before. And you're not behaving in the triumph that God wants you to behave in. And, and, and you're living in a way that's a little more either competing or camouflage with the culture around you. You're not really living with contrast yet. So, so what is the middle one? That's what I, I like to call the transition. 
See, the transfer happens internally, but then there's a transition of giving what's inside of you to looking and exemplified and seen on the outside of you. See, the the transition is really where we have to deal with issues of our identity. Many of us are living, trying to live like Christ, but living with an identity away from Christ. Christ is in you, the hope of glory, and the goal is to let Christ grow in such a way that we get it outside and people can see it from the outside. Rather than just knowing, well, Jesus is in my heart, he's in here, and he is. But he actually wants to do a little transitioning inside of you to where you actually think and act and talk and live and prioritize and and live in your marriage and work in your workplace in a way that actually looks like Christ. That's the triumph that he wants. But there's a transition, and it's in this transition that most of us get trapped. Most believers stop. We get, we start the, the the transfer happens. Yay! But we never quite make it to triumph, and we just think that we'll just have to wait for the triumph for one day when God comes back. It's true, there will be a triumph that happens then. But there's something in the middle. There's a transition period where God is saying, there's actually a little bit of triumph you can experience today. And it all depends on how you deal with this transition. The transition matters. This is where we get to choose contrast. This is where we get to choose to live like Christ. This is where we get to choose the contrast of a godly attitude. This is where we get to choose those Things And the Apostle Paul writes about this contrast and this choice in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 5. Look, look at these words. Colossians 3, starting in verse 5, says this. Put to death, therefore, whatever, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Well, what is my earthly nature? He's going to tell you. Sexual immorality. Impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because you can't serve God and serve money. At the same time, you're going to worship money or you're going to worship God. And the only way to tell is how your checkbook ledger looks. We've talked about it for the last couple weeks in our last series. He says, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God, it's coming. You used to walk in these ways. Everybody say, used to. So that's the old me. See, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but you've been transferred. Everybody say, transferred. And now it's time to transition. Watch this. But, that's a transitional phrase. But, you you, you used to live this way, but... Now you must also rid yourself. Who rids yourself of it? It's your choice. Rid yourself of such things as these like anger, rage, malice, slander. I can feel it getting uncomfortable in the room. Toes are getting stepped on. Everybody's moving their feet a little closer from the aisles. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with this practice. In other words, quit living a lie. You're living like your old self, but on the inside, you've been made a new self. Quit living that hypocritical way that says, I'm gonna live in the old way when God has called you to live in a new way. 
So quit lying to the people around you where you're posing like a pagan when you're supposed to be living like Christ. Ooh, I'm preaching today, y'all. Do not lie with e- do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self and all of its practices. Because it takes some practice to live like your old way. It takes some daily decisions to live like you've got to run the play of your old way again and again, and that's called practice. Which means that if you want to change your old way to your new way, you've got to run some new plays again and again and again. And when you practice putting on the new way, you'll actually discover that you live in a new way. Oh, I hope you wrote that down. Man, oh man, I'm getting blessed right here. And have put on this new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator, the image of its creator, the image of of its creator. Let me say it like this. I heard a pastor a few weeks ago say it this way, and it's stuck with me, and I'm going to steal his phrase. He says it like this. Listen real close. My spirit, my choice. Turn to your neighbor and say, my spirit, my choice. Turn to your second choice and say the same thing. My spirit, my choice. You get to choose to put on the contrast known as Christ or you can choose to put on camouflage and live your old way. You can choose to put on the contrast of who Christ is in you, or you can choose to put on some competition, self-righteous, belligerent, religious jerk. But don't. Choose contrast. It's your spirit, your choice. Now, when I say your spirit, I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit that lives in you. I'm not talking about healing and tongues and praying for people and the gifts of the Spirit. I'm not talking about that that Spirit. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm not talking even about the part of you that lives forever in heaven. I'm not talking about that Spirit. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the you that people experience when they meet you. You could say your attitudes. That's you. When people walk away from a conversation with you, the flavor and the taste that you've left in their mouth, that that you, that that spirit, the aura of you when you walk in a room, no matter how many oils you be dropping on, there is a different aura that you got when you walk in a room because it's your spirit and and your choice. (laughs) Let me say it another way to kind of break it down a little bit younger for us today. You get to choose the spiritual swag you wear. You can put on swag that looks like Jesus, or you can put on swag that looks like sin. Your spirit, your choice. Your spirit, your choice. Your spirit, your choice. Let me give you four spiritual swag options you need to have in your closet and put on, because your spirit is your choice. Four. Four. The first one is this. I think you need to have a life-giving spirit. A life-giving spirit. You need to choose the contrast of Christ that is life-giving. In other words, you need to make a decision that the words that come out of your mouth are encouraging to people, not negative. 
that when they meet you, they meet the most positive, encouraging person they've ever met, not the most pessimistic, negative, quote-unquote, realist they've ever met. We got enough of those weather-like people. We need a few more life-giving people, people who put belief inside of somebody, people that when they talk to you, they, they put courage on the inside of them. That's what encourage means, to put courage in somebody else. That's the kind of person you ought to be. You ought to put on the spiritual swag that says, I'm a life-giving person. We're not, we're not gonna talk corrupt and negative and dirty and filthy. We're not gonna let words fly out of our mouth that don't make us look that make us look ignorant. Uh, we're not gonna let those words come out of our mouth. Why? Because we're gonna be a life-giving people. We're gonna put on the spiritual swag that says, man, that guy's got some life-giving nature about him. I like him. And as we live among the pagans, the contrast in our life is life-giving, not negative. It's life-giving, not, not negative. Uh, several, several months ago here in our town, there was some news that broke about the hospital in town closing its doors. And every conversation and every post was full of opinions. There were a lot of people who were pessimistic. They were prophesying doom to our community. It's over. Ghost town's happening. Some of them sitting in the room, tending the church. And I don't say that to berate or be negative. I'm just pointing out the fact that we didn't live with the life-giving spirit, that there were everywhere you look, every conversation was negative of some point. And normally I don't jump into social topics online, but that morning I just felt so stirred. Somebody needs to live with some contrast. So I wrote a post that talked about hope that talked about potential, that talked about God's not done because I'm not done. I, I talked about how the spirit of God is gonna move and things are gonna happen and I choose to believe differently. There may be a report in the land, but I'm gonna choose a different report. I might have a task. We might have to work hard, but we're gonna do it with all of our might as unto the Lord. Why? Because we're gonna live with a life-giving spirit. And I can't tell you the number of people online and especially offline who needed that word. Why? Because we live in a day and an age where the people of God need to be life-giving. And when you choose to live with a life-giving spirit, you will live with contrast. You get to choose contrast. Why? Because your spirit is your choice. You get to swag out to whatever you want. I just say, let's swag out with a faith-filled, life-giving spirit. What do you say? You need a life-giving spirit. Second thing you need, I think we need to put on is a faith-filled spirit a faith-filled spirit. We, we need people who may have made an emotional decision with a commitment, but how many of you know when you make a commitment, your emotions are different than when you have to follow through on your commitment? Brother, you made a commitment. I'm gonna, I'm gonna live in such a way, I'm gonna serve on Sundays. And then they told you what time you had to be here on time for a huddle. And, and that morning and Sunday morning rolls around, you're like, ah, not feeling it today. And the winds of your emotions dictate whether or not you follow through or not. I say we be faith-filled in everything that we do. We be full of faith in Jesus in everything that we do. I say we live and choose some contrast and we choose to be faith-filled and make decisions based on faith, not based on our emotional reality at the moment. We, we make decisions on faith. Faith-filled. Life-giving, that's our spirit swag. 
Third, third one I think that we need to look at. We need to be authentic. We need to have an authentic spirit about us. Not a hypocritical one. Not one that's piously full of pretense. Not posing in any way. Authentic. We want to be people that acknowledge that there may be pain, acknowledge that it's tough, acknowledge that that life gets hard, but we may acknowledge the pain, but we're going to continue to pursue the promise of God. We know it stinks right now. We know it feels like turmoil is happening. We know the bills are piling up. We know that those things, we're just gonna choose to live in the promise of God. We're not gonna fake it till we make it. No, we're gonna have faith until the situation changes. It's, it's not living piously and self-righteously. It's not some self-talk that kind of creates a world out of our own imagination. No, we take the promises of God and we just hold on to them. Say, I'm gonna be faithful today. I know we're, we might be losing but there's a comeback that's happening. I may have had a setback, but God's just setting me up for a comeback. That, that kind of authentic understanding. I'm not talking about an authentic thing that says, well, I'm just being my true me. Listen, a lot of times for the name of authenticity, we call something a personality, but God calls it immaturity. Some things that you're writing off as your own personality, if you dig into scripture, it's actually a lack of willingness to mature and grow up. I didn't expect a lot of amens. It's really okay. Let it sink in because you got to choose your own swag, your spirit, your choice. You can choose to be bound by your personality or your immaturity, or you can choose to put on a different way that lives as a contrast to the world that's around you so that they can see your life and see how you walk through troubled times and see how you walk through the, the, the disappointment and the own darkness that surrounds you, but yet you're still living with life in the darkness. Why? Because you choose to put on an authentic spirit. Finally, I think we need to have an excellent spirit about us. An excellent spirit. It's not for show. Nope. It's to honor God with everything we put our hands to. We're not going to live sloppily. We're not going to be, uh, we're not going to lack diligence. We're going to be hardworking. We're going to bring our best to whatever it is that we're going to do. And then some, we bring our best and then some, that's the swag that we rock. That's the spirit that we put on. That's the choice that we make. My spirit, my choice. I'm going to live with excellence. I'm going to pay attention to the details. I'm going to live in a way that says that no matter the task or responsibility, I'm going to be diligent with the details and I'm going to make it better. That's an excellent spirit. And all at the same time, staying under the authorities that God has placed over you. That's what an excellent spirit is. To say, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to take care of the details. I'm going to get a boss who's going to give me tasks. I'm going to do it better than they expect. I'm going to do it in a way that makes this company better. I've been given a task by a teacher to do an assignment. I'm going to give it all that I've got. I'm going to encourage those around me to give it all that they got. We're not going to sit back and just let what comes make up. No, we're going to lean in. We're going to live with excellence. We're going to do it our best, giving God all that we've got, knowing that we're not working for man. We're working for God who sees all, who knows all, and he deserves not our leftovers, not our sloppy seconds, but he deserves my best. He deserves everything that I've got. Why? Because it's my spirit. It's my choice. I'm going to live with that excellence. You want to know what the biggest test of excellence probably is? 
You can say you're a person of excellence. Go let somebody take a look at how your car looks right now. How does the inside look? How does the outside look? Did something blow up in there three weeks ago and you're just, I knew something was growing up in here. What? I think excellence comes back down to stewardship. How are you taking care of what is in your hand right now? In a way that says, God, we're giving you all that we got. God, we're giving you all that we got. Friends, I don't want you to get stuck making the switch. There's a transfer that's happened when you said yes to Jesus. There's a triumph that you can walk in, but there is a transition moment where you've got to make a decision. I'm going to choose Christ. I'm going to choose to live with contrast among the darkness, and I'm going to live in a way that says, Jesus, you be seen in all that I do, in all that I say, in how I process disappointment, in how I celebrate with the people around me, and how I encourage. I'm going to be life-giving. I'm going to be faith-filled. I'm going to be authentic pursuing the promises and I'm going to live with a spirit of excellence. That's my Christian swag. That's my spiritual decision. It's my spirit. My choice. Your spirit is your choice. You may be here and you're far from God. You've just kind of been checking out church stuff. Cool. I'm just telling you the spirit you choose to put on is determining the direction with which you're moving in your life. Your spirit, your choice. Your spirit, your choice. Your spirit, your choice. I say we put on something new. Today, I'm going to challenge you to do one thing. Of those four choices that we just talked about, of those four spiritual swag options, Pick one this week that you know the Spirit of God is saying, you need to work on that. You're saying, oh, I need to work on all of them, Pastor. I know, but choose one. Let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's just make one choice at a time. One choice. Choose one this week to make a decision. I'm gonna wake up in the morning. I'm gonna put on some excellence. I'm gonna wake up this morning. I'm gonna put on life-giving spirit. I'm not going to cuss nobody out. I'm not going to flow the finger at nobody. I'm going to be kind to the people that are helping my kids at school. I'm going to be kind to the person who's making my coffee. I'm going to be life-giving today. I'm going to put on some life-giving swag today. I'm, I'm going to put on something authentic. I might be having some pain, but I'm going to hold on to the promise. What are you going to put on? Your spirit is your choice. What would it look like? just our church now with a weekly attendance over 520 something every weekend what? that's what it's been recently it's also a faith statement that it continues I'm faith filled y'all I put on faith filled swag every day what, what if all 500 plus of us decided to put on the right spiritual swag every day this week our spirit, our choice. What would be different in your school? What would be different in your small group? What would be different in your mommy meetup club? What would be different in how you talk to your boss? What would be different in how you went about your work? What would your car start looking like? All I'm saying, your spirit is your choice. Will you bow as we pray? 
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us your spirit. You've transferred us from darkness to light, putting your spirit in us. And Lord, we one day want to live with triumph, celebrating and living even here and now, Lord, with our behavior having overcome the sin and the struggles of the darkness around us that we used to deal with. But Lord, let us not get lost in the transition. Let us not lose sight of the fact that it's our spirit, our choice. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. As we're still praying as a church, every head bowed, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've never made a decision to choose to follow Christ. But today, I want to make a choice and start following Jesus. If that's you and you want to make that choice today, would you just put a hand in the air? Say, I'm choosing Christ. I've been choosing a lot of things lately, but it's time that I choose Christ. It's time that I choose Christ. Thank you for that hand. Other others, other others saying, yes, I'm going to choose Christ today. I'm going to choose Christ today. Thank you so much for those hands. Church family, can we all pray this out loud together? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for sending Christ for us to die on a cross. We choose to put our faith in Jesus. Save us from our sins. Forgive us from our past. Give us a new spirit today. Your spirit alive in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate what God's done. Praise God.